Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 16 Millimeter Film Crew. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16 Millimeter Film Crew Podcast. Leave us a rate and review. And visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. This week, we watched the documentary Fire of Love 2022. This is your synopsis. So, an intrepid scientist and lovers, Katya and Maurice Kraft, die in a volcanic explosion doing the very thing that brought them together, unraveling the mysteries of volcanoes by capturing some of nature's most explosive imagery. Um, this movie is obviously starring Katya and Maurice Kraft, and it is directed by Sarah Dosa. Um, this movie also premiered at Sundance in 2022, and it is currently nominated for Best Documentary Feature at the Oscars. So, Dale, what was your thoughts about this movie? Um, I thought it was a really loving picture. I like I like stories of, you know, where you find your kind of like your missing piece because this was beyond just two people talking about their love of um, volcanoes and the such. It was also two people who were deeply in love with each other because there were scenes in the movie where they talk about, you know, how, and honestly, the movie is funny because it actually also breaks down how men and women think. Like, it, 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 like they chronologued how they each view the science and the, the science behind um, uh, volcano, um, volcanology if I'm pronouncing it right, but, like, she's really into all the details and the minutia and savoring the moment where he wants to see these big, grandiose experiences that he wants to, like, capture from every angle. It's kind of like how they say women kind of see all the bits and pieces, whereas men, we only see, like, the whole. We can't really break it down. And I, and I love that's kind of actually break broke down in their relationship. Um, But, yeah, I, I, I love stories because I view them even though they're scientists, I kind of view scientists to a degree as creatives as well. And it's always amazing and fun to see whenever you see two creatives deeply not just in love with their work, but but, but also each other, each other. And you see, like, the wonder it creates. It's like, I think majority of their, like, documentation and discovery on volcanoes, like, they're talking about Mount St. Helens and how they were there for, like, three months breaking shit down. Like, it's their knowledge, like their work and their like sacrifice, you know, is how we have this wealth of knowledge and stuff like that when it comes to volcanoes and stuff. So yeah, very moving and very informative picture. Yeah, I remember seeing this trailer in a lot of the like indie films that we would go see last year. And I was like, wow, this looks really good. So it was interesting to watch it now. And First of all, it's just like one of the best looking documentaries I think I've ever seen. Um, everything just looks so incredible. And I think that it's crazy that most of the footage is from the crafts, you know, their own personal archives. And so you can see it's, I don't know, I guess you that film was from like the 70s or the 60s or something like that. And it looks so good. And you feel so immersed in their world. Because it's, just, it's a subject that, like, most people aren't really familiar with. I know I definitely wasn't. Um, and I felt so brought into what they were doing, researching, and their love story, obviously. But just in terms of, like, some of the imagery, like, 
it was so detailed and like so vivid. Like you really felt like you were also there, like <laughs> experiencing about, you know, like about to erupt. Like that's how close to it you felt. And I think that's incredible that not only were they scientists, but they were also filmmakers. They were also writers because they also, you know, wrote books and stuff. And I just thought it was such a well put together, well done story about the environment in a way that's not, that wasn't like preachy. Like it wasn't like save the planet, but it was, it was just like an understated kind of thing because you're following their relationship at first and then you get into what they're passionate about, which is studying volcanoes and seeing how that works. And I don't know, just trying to unravel those mysteries. And like, that's really cool to me. Like one, how passionate they were about the work, but also how passionate they were about their relationship. And the fact that they were like, we can't do it without each other. Like we both need each other in order to do this work, Um, which was very sweet. Like I just found it, to be very like sweet I was afraid for their lives I was like you guys are pushing it like I hope you don't fall in or I hope it doesn't hit you but um I think they did a service of like explaining to you in the beginning like yes they will die so it you're not like you're anticipating it but you're also still engaged in what's going on and yeah I just really enjoyed it I just thought it was really compelling in a way I wasn't expecting, but also just beautiful to look at. Yeah, I love I love the part where um they're talking about um what was it, how he likes to wander off. Like like at, at one point they talk about how um they went to a volcano and they're looking at something and she's like one part or he's another part. And like he Look, she looks at him and he's not moving. He's just looking at his leg, like memorized by it. And he goes, Yeah, I got burnt by hot mud. And like they show a picture of his like leg, just like skin is peeling off. And he's just so engrossed by it, like, you know, that kind of thing. And it goes further on after that by saying she kind of doesn't like because he likes to wander off and see everything. She's oh, she was always worried that, you know, the next time they're out somewhere and just like wanders off she'll never see him again and i love how the editing of this works because right after they say that he goes to interview him saying yeah you gotta watch out when you're walking around lava because one drop and like that's it you're dead it's it's like those kind of things where it was a deeply like serious and emotional thing which you're talking about yeah i'm worried about him wandering off and stuff like that and then he goes well this is the life and then right after that they go cut to like the the acid lake thing and like the whole time I'm watching the acid lake thing, I'm like, you guys are idiots. And he he's like, he doesn't care at all. He's like, yeah, we got this used inflatable boat. We're just gonna go in the middle of the lake. And then like the steel, like the steel cable like breaks for whatever device they're using. And then you see her in the shot, like just visibly pissed off just from the back of her silhouette. And they're like, Yeah, we were stuck in that lake for like three hours trying to get back. I'm like, what in the world? You know. Um Yes, I feel like a lot of their decisions were like, especially the husband, especially Maurice, like he was like, I want to take a raft down a lava lake. And I was like, 
what are y'all smoking over there? Like, you guys are not okay. But it's funny because the way I think Katya explained it was like, they they are scared. Like, obviously, they know this is very dangerous. But like, once they're actually out there, they're like not afraid anymore. Which is, I think she said like something about how fear isn't a really strong emotion, but curiosity is like stronger than that. And I was like, mm, you're dropping some nuggets there, girly. Because, yeah, I felt that. <laughs> Which is true. Like, it's the reason why people do things, like, insane things. Like, I feel like that is one of the reasons why Tom Cruise is, like, jumping off of a motorcycle and, like, parachuting into a canyon. Like, I feel like that's his life motto. Like, curiosity is stronger. <laughs> so that's how he lives his life. But, yeah, I do think that it was interesting that she was not going on the acid lake, though. She was like no like we know the science behind that like obviously we're not gonna do it and it is it does explain the differences again like you were saying between men and women <laughs> like you gotta turn this on you know, rubber. it's not even think because no that that's not even a man or that's like oh that's like a that's like levels of like like you know how they say like genius and like stupidity are on that line Mm-hmm. Like he was on, he was on that line really hard. Cause ain't no way in hell I'm going in an acid lake in a rubber inflatable boat, like used, not even new, like used. You don't even know there's a rip in there or anything. And he's like, "Yep, screw it, I'm gonna go in there," you know. But that's science. So that's just him being insane. Like <laughs> I don't know the logic behind that piece because it's like they just, but they did a lot of weird stuff like that, like they bought a used car and drove it up what a mountain or something and it kept breaking down and it's like yet this is what happens when you buy like a used a very very used car like you can't like how are y'all trying to be dora the explorer on this joint and like you don't have the proper equipment like it just doesn't make sense to me at all I mean i mean in that sense i think at the time they were just starting out and they were using what they were have they had but the whole ass like thing, like at that point, you're well established. And like, they're also doing like, um, like, in which I always I find weird and how Europe views like these people. Like, the closest thing I could think of in that escape is probably, um, like zoologists. Like, you think of Steve Irwin, you know, mm. how he was popular here. You know, you have uh, one, uh, one of uh, conservationists down in Miami, his name's, um, um, Ron, um, I don't, I don't want to mispronounce his last name, but he's one of the bigger conservationists in the world. He talks about animal stuff that he's like, he was on like the night show and talk shows. Like here in the States, we don't give all these science, like these exploratory scientists, no matter mm-hmm. if you're the same, the same dude. Like they're in like France, like doing interviews, doing talk shows and stuff like that, where we don't have that same exposure to um, the science field. In like being embraced by Hollywood inter- entertainment until they've died, and then we're doing documentaries, and you have stuff like Hidden Figures, you have stuff like this. And then you go, mm-hmm. oh, these people were so smart, they paved the way for us, here's what they did, but we don't learn about them in the moment. We learn about them after 20, 30, 40 years after they've passed on, and we can't give them their flowers while they're mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very true. I feel like the people in their community so in the science community, definitely were very interested in what they were doing. Um, it's interesting that they were seen, or at least they felt like they were seen as like weirdos, which I guess maybe the acid lake 
story does kind of tie into that. Like that is reckless, but yeah, it doesn't, I feel like we don't really regard, especially in the media, like science or scientists or anybody really in STEM as doing like things that we should be paying attention to until there are like serious crises. Like I'm sure the people who are like working in these labs before COVID we're not going to get that ex- that type of exposure until the pandemic. Um, it's interesting. Like, I know people have very <laughs> mixed feelings about Don't Look Up, but it is interesting that the science community were very grateful that that movie even existed because they were like, we have been saying this for decades and nobody has been taking us seriously. Like, it really took a Hollywood movie in order for people to be like, oh, yeah, this is a huge issue. Um, so it is weird. It's like certain communities highlight their own, but in terms of the broader media scape landscape, I just feel like we're not thinking about that or these type of advancements in technology and in science and progression until someone makes a movie or a documentary about it. So only until it benefits us. Yeah. So which is weird because <laughs> all science at the end of the day good science you know we're not talking about elon musk but good science you know benefits everybody so exactly but yeah i do i'm trying to i think that i don't know i felt i found it very fascinating though like and i'm not really into like what is it the study of volcanoes or if Any it was volcanology. Volcanology, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not really into it, but I did like the travel and like seeing the different cultures and seeing how different cultures um react or especially those who live around active volcano sites, how they deal with that. Cause I did wonder that. I'm like, for the people in Hawaii, right? Like, are you guys okay? Like, how does that affect your lives? Like, I know sometimes it's really bad. Like, and that's one of the things that they brought up especially in the latter half of the movie where these volcanoes were going off and it was killing thousands and thousands of people like it wasn't it wasn't like beautiful and mysterious and fascinating the way that they were seeing it it was like literally destroying communities so that was very interesting to see that kind of dichotomy but also like how people deal with it and it seems like certain places take it seriously where if the scientists say like this is going to happen, they'll actually respond to that information and get people out, and others don't. And for those who don't, like the damage is serious. And I found that to be really interesting. Like that, like it's almost like people who like love the ocean and like really want to protect your oceans, but then like hurricanes are like wiping entire cities out, and you're like, oh, I just I find that fascinating. Yeah, and I, I realized that too. I think they were talking about how they were in Gambia, and like before that, this whole experience of looking at volcanoes was kind of just like a fun kind of quasi science experiment in a way. And then until they went to Gambia and they saw the destruction of like she was like, um, Kathy said, um, something to the effect like these people were just going about the business in the morning and had no idea, and they got caught. And they talk about how it actually seeing that um, destruction made all their work more serious and more impactful. And then from that on, you have the latter half of the movie where they talk about um, 
not uh, not Mount St. Helens, but the one in, in Colombia, mm-hmm. and how they had shifted their focus, and now they're actually they're like we don't know exactly what triggers you know that pressure buildup, and you know it's a random thing, but they had got so precise to the point where like they told government officials, yeah, this volcano is going to explode. People need to be prepared, and the government was like, ah, it's not going to happen. And then it exploded, and then you, she's like, yeah, we have to, like, we, we're going to actually now record our findings in these volcanoes mid-explosion to actually show the dangers of what these things cause. And she, she lamented the fact that they cannot figure out, like, almost every major weather phenomenon except for earthquakes. Earthquakes, you kind of get, like, a couple seconds to a minute, like, with a tremor, and they say, it's here, the epicenter's here, and you can... And you got like a couple minutes or a couple seconds before the wave gets to you. Like, but volcanoes is like no warning. Like, you can prepare for a hurricane, you can prepare for a blizzard, you can somewhat prepare for a tornado based on the knowing that the weather is perfect mix for a tornado, you know, to stay inside. But volcanoes, like, if you live by there, it's just like a, like a random act. And she lamented that they could not ever figure that one piece of the puzzle out. yeah which is like yeah which i'm glad that they that's kind of where their focus shifted into like trying to help people help communities try to save people's lives by like letting them know what's going on um and i thought that was really good i feel like this would be great to show to classes like you know i remember i had like an earth science class and it was so boring I would have loved to have seen this because it makes like they they explain like how that they, there's two different volcanoes like with the red lava and then with the gray smoke and gray like volcano yeah yeah and like how the tectonic plates move in order to cause certain things to happen like I would have loved to see this in class I would have paid more attention. <laughs> yeah, I I learned because when they talk about volcanoes, all you see is like. The red, the red volcanoes, volcanoes of lava. They say, oh, and in my mind, oh, if it's lava, that means it's dangerous. And they're like, no, the gray ones, where it just creates like massive mudslides and goes everywhere. Those are the ones that kill you. I know that. And like, and like from like from elementary school to high school, your depiction of volcanoes is the lava. Avoid the lava, you know. But apparently, I guess the lava moves so slow you can actually escape. Whereas the gray ones is just a massive amount of slush, just coming at you and i did not know that until watching this i mean like you're right i wish we were shown documents like this more as kids in school plus it probably would have opened up different avenues and like i don't know maybe watching this younger i would have said oh i want to you know explore volcanoes you know Mm -hmm. like i I do think exposure to these kind of documentaries as we're in an era of where we're trying to push people into stem like we don't want kids just to be like uh, business people or law people like I remember mm-hmm. in, um what was it when we were in college I remember doing math speaking law and all the people who were doing like regular law mm-hmm. thought the class would be easy because oh it's media it's, it's nothing and it turned out that was their hardest class because yeah. they don't have like though that that background you know they're mm-hmm. so focused I'm doing law I'm doing medicine I'm gonna make this money not realizing there's another realm like this is like perfect for me. I like being by myself. I like being creative. I would have loved to explore, you know, volcanoes and shit and film documentaries, you know. So okay. Yeah. I would have loved that <laughs> in my class. But yeah. Um, I did think it was 
it's funny because when or it's not funny, but like it is interesting that that's how they died was by the volcano. And I think what it reminded me of, and I don't know why it reminded me of this, but it reminded me of that scene in Nope where the cinematographer is like trying to capture the phenomenon and he gets so obsessed with it that he just like lets it take him like the cloud. And I was like, I don't know why that scene popped in my head, but yeah, Um, it was very much like the thing that you're obsessed with is your downfall kind of through line I saw in the movie. Because I was like, yeah, they're definitely, I don't know if they, I didn't think that the volcano was going to take them. I thought maybe it's just like old age or something. But yeah, that's how they, and it's like, wow. I guess it makes sense because they were very obsessed with this (laughs) particular study. Like the man was like making model volcanoes in his spare time because he missed it so much. Like that is an insane amount of dedication to a particular field. So, yeah, they will play. They said, like, in trying to figure out what causes them, they started getting closer to almost active volcanoes on the precipice of, you know, exploding. And they said, they were, they even said, like, this kind of work is dangerous, but it's necessary. And, you know, that shows, like, the full mindset shift of, you know, we're not just exploring the, the dormant quiet ones, we're dealing with ones that are, like, seconds away or days away or unknown amounts of times to um going off which is amazing i couldn't yeah that's amazing yeah this, i would never and, and <laughs> that line of work really shows how self-sacrificing they were because mm-hmm. to be willing to put yourself in that danger like constantly like you know even camping out near an active volcano like just to discover this to work on it for like three weeks at a time is like maddening no crazy yeah so yeah big ups to them because that is dedication (laughs) okay anything any last thoughts on the fire of love oh no no i I loved it i like and i you spoke something earlier about the trailer like i find it very interesting that the movie that piqued my interest in watching movie was the Bowie, the Bowie bot, the Bowie documentary because mm-hmm. it played right before. So I love yeah. the fact that they were like, "Yo, this amazing! You're about to watch a, a wonderful documentary. I'm gonna preview another wonderful documentary." And I, I thought that was, uh, you know, amazing. Hopefully, this movie does well come Oscar Oscar season. Well, for the Oscars because I know it is nominated for one of the best documentaries so mm-hmm. hopefully it does get its due God, I do think now that I'm you know seeing more documentaries I'm seeing how stacked that category is going beyond the typical you know film gore well what's the best picture is it you know Batman or Spider-Man or whatever but actually engrossing myself in all these other genres and stuff more and more like the documentary category is really you know act and it's Mm -hmm. a drill watch for information as well so yeah i agree yeah i thought this was like a beautiful depiction of these two scientists love story i thought that it was beautifully shot and just really well told like the narration and everything was just really well done and for documentaries it's like it's not just presenting information. It is presenting information in a way that's compelling and where you do learn something, but you're also 
like engrossed emotionally in that and what's happening in the real life facts of a certain person situation or a important event. So as a girl who watches a lot of documentaries, there have been really good ones. There have been some real duds. Um, and I think that there is like a group of documentaries that are just like <laughs> better, like well-made. We've seen a couple of those already. And then there are ones that just are not it. So like, <laughs> I'm glad that this has kind of broken through in the way that it has. It's nominated for an Oscar. Um, I don't know what other ones are in the category. I have to go back and look, but I do hope that this does well because it was just such a, I really enjoyed it. And on a subject that I knew nothing about, I thought it was just really well done, easy for you to be engaged in, and just, like, really compelling. So, yeah. On that note, a little box office bonus for you guys. So, apparently, um, as much as everybody is kind of iffy and concerned, you know, you know, of course, you know, the hot, the hot guy, the hot... You know, man on market, um, Jonathan Majors, you know, taking the industry by storm. You know, he's got, you know, Kang in the MCU. He's also doing Creed. He's doing his own uh, independent picture. He showed up at Sundance, kind of looking like a bit of a cowboy. But, mm -hmm. um, so, uh, his movie, well, Ant-Man and Lost Contamania, got to a franchise record of $120 million, um, at his first four-day opening. Which is like I said, it's a franchise record for Ant-Man and Wasp. Considering it's not a not one of MCU's uh, most engaging um, properties, as a way you kind of watch it to get up to speed. And I do think the expectation of building up on on the back of um, the Loki series, and you know, seeing Jonathan Jonathan Majors, you know, in his role as Kang, that kind of got people interested. And then also the downturn of how. Um, lackluster multiverse of madness was with Doctor Strange, but people knowing they're about to get King the Conqueror in this movie kind of piqued people's interest, which helps help bolster it. Um, it made the opening. Um, it made twenty five point seven million on Sunday. Um, this Sunday as recording, and as of today, which is Monday of recording, is expected to make about twenty four twenty four twenty five million. Um, so yeah, so so it's they're expecting it to probably overshoot the the same um four day opening as as Ant Man three. So, but it still is behind that kind of because it's President's Day. You know, holidays tend to be a big draw for um films. It's still behind Black Panther, uh, the first one, which won which earned two hundred forty two million. It's all for opening four days over on presents we can at Deadpool and um Deadpool that same year which made uh one hundred and fifty two million. Remember those numbers are pre-pandemic and the industry is still dealing with trying to bounce back. That's why you hear AMC and all these other chains kind of falling in to uh these stupid things that they're doing. But uh yeah that's it for me on the box office side. Well I thought I was going to go watch this movie and then I saw the reviews and I was like, I don't know if I want to do it anymore because 
just to talk about like Marvel for a second, I feel like this this movie is intended to be the launch of Phase Five, and because Phase Four was so, I mean, up and down. Some were good, some were mediocre, some were just flat out bad. It was such a bumpy ride. I felt like this movie had to be super strong and kind of reintroducing us to like the universe element of the MCU where you have like a focus goal that we're all all the movies and all the television shows are going to be working towards right and so that's why I wanted to go see it but the thing is is like I've never been an Ant-Man person like I watched Ant-Man and the Wasp years ago when it came out in theaters because it was my birthday and on my birthday I go to the movies and I wanted to see another movie but I had to wait for that movie so I watched the I watched Ant-Man first instead and it was fine incredibly forgettable I don't remember anything that happened in that movie I didn't watch the first one so like I'm not I wasn't excited about Ant-Man and the Wasp overall the thing I was excited for was Jonathan Majors coming back as Kang because I love Loki like that's to me that's the best series that Disney has put out that's my opinion. Um, and he was so good in that. And I was like, okay, he's going to be the new big bad. So let's get there. And it just felt from the reviews that I've heard, you know, recently, um, not having seen the film. It seems like he is the most focused part of this, the best part of the movie. And everyone else is just kind of background, which considering that this is an Ant-Man and the Wasp movie, that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> but I mean, a part of me is like, should I just go see it for Jonathan Majors? I don't know yet. But um, it's in, it's interesting because this has made so much money and their views from critics and audiences have been very um, disparaging. Yeah. But it's also like, I feel like Marvel doesn't even really need to do that much. Like They don't even need to like try and give you like a really great film and it'll still make bank. Like... I feel like they know that. So they kind of just are like, whatever, you're still going to watch it. Like, and I feel like it's that mentality that makes me want to not watch it because I also, as a Marvel fan, it's like, you have to see everything in order to understand like what happens in the next movie. But now we have people who review stuff online. Like we have people who go through like the Easter eggs and the post credit scenes. So like, even if I don't go see this movie, I'll still know what happens for when the actual, like an actual good movie comes out. Like maybe Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe that, I don't know. So I just have lost the enthusiasm that I thought I had for this universe. I really thought that I was going to be like super pumped from this new phase. But when it comes down to it, it's like, I don't know. I kind of want to, I want them to not just expect people to show up just because of the properties. Like I want them to really like do their due diligence and actually make it a good film because you do have some of those like Black Panther, Wakanda Forever or something like that. But like, I just, I don't know. It makes me kind of upset and also like not as enthusiastic for what's coming next. And to your, to your point, I do think, um, I, I will say the the best part of Marvel wasn't really like the phase four, the stuff leading up to um wow oh, Thanos. I think the best point of Marvel were probably phase one, phase two, 
when mm. because they really were really experimentative with their properties like every kind of every superhero kind of fit into a specific genre in a way kind of like the way the comic books do it you had really gritty realistic interesting stuff going on with the netflix stuff even though they weren't connected like you know alias was kind of like almost like a spy kind of detective kind of thing mix it uh you know luke cage and his embrace of black culture hip-hop and talk about actual experience of inner city you know daredevil was questioning like his belief in religion and you know why he's fighting and stuff like that you know um captain america was really not a, a a really good spy thriller almost like you think on the part of like Mission Impossible, James Bond, you know, Thor in the beginning was it really more embracing the authorian, you know, the Shakespearean side of it, which, you know, people didn't like. So they had a drastic shift and we got Dragon and Walk, which everybody loved, and then we got Love and Thunder. So maybe you don't want to wish for exactly you want, you'll get diminishing returns. And they were really experimentative, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, we're going to try and make a comedy film. And even the first Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man was kind of almost a bit of, like, a comedic, you know, Ocean's Eleven in a way, where you have mm. the banter between Scott, Hope, and Hank. And since then, since they've already established their foothold, there's no risk they have to take. It's been kind of just been paint by the numbers, in a way, which is, like, really, it, it, it shows in the quality, especially in this movie, where the driving factor for everybody to want to watch the movie was one actor. Nobody yeah. went really for, you know, oh, snap, you know, like, oh, they recasted Cassie from, you know, from the Thanos stuff, from Infinity War and Endgame to a different actor. Oh, oh this is, you know, you know, we, we, no one was really interested in all those things, like, oh, we're figuring out why Jade doesn't want to go back to the continent and all that kind of stuff. So, like, no, I'm here for Jonathan Majors, I'm here for Kang. And like you said, like everybody, every actor was background, and I think that goes to his credit because in Loki, that was a real scene stealing performance, especially mm-hmm. for a majority of people who weren't watching Lovecraft Country or or County at the time. Yeah, nobody was really aware of his performance and how he could act. But Loki put him on the map with probably one of the best performances I want to say in the Marvel MCU for the short time he was there. Like mm-hmm. he was there for like 50, 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. And he kind of just took over and stole yeah. the show. So he did. Yeah. So I hope to see him in other. I can't wait to see him in uh, other films where I think the director will have a very distinct voice and it won't be like a product, but it'll be an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that happens because I think if, if they do what I'm hoping they're going to do, I feel like this is going to be really interesting. I feel like how the multiverse has been dealt with has been so messy. Um, and I want them to have like a more streamlined version of like what this is actually going to mean and how Kang is a part of that. So yeah, just fingers crossed that it works out, gets better. <laughs> Cause I don't know. Okay. Moving on to um, the big news of the weekend, the BAFTAs. Um, we are ramping up to the Oscars. We're almost there, a couple weeks away. And the BAFTAs have come out. The winners were um, a bit surprising. I, I'm not going to go through all of them. But I do want to mention just a couple of things that were of note. One is that All Quiet on the Western Front ended up being a huge victor of the night. It swept most of the categories. 
Um, also the Banshees of Inner Sheeran. So that to me changes the game of like where we're heading into come Oscar night because I didn't really think of All Quiet on the Western Front to be a real front runner, but I mean, it's a war movie. So like, I probably should have seen that coming, but yeah, it's looking like a standout. And um, another thing was, another thing was the fact that Austin Butler ended up winning best actor, which again, changes my viewpoint on where I thought we were going. Cause I thought we were going down the Brendan Fraser route for that one. And we might still end up there, but we got, two on one now so we'll see what happens at the SAG awards next week um because if he ends up winning that then he's definitely winning the Oscar which would be insane like I I couldn't imagine like (laughs) if y'all know Austin Butler from back in the day like back in the Disney days like this is crazy but um he did do he did do it like an incredible job so uh, he was on Disney maybe that's a different yeah from me so he was on Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure. Like, if you have not seen that movie, <laughs> I have no idea what that is. I have no idea. Only, you know like, Sharpay the, from the High School Musical? Okay, so the only reason I know it, like Sharpay in that name, because when I when I when my sisters are watching it, they're kind of like freaking out. Hey, Dale, there's this kid who sings and he plays skateboard and he plays a cello. That could have been you. You know, that's the only reason I know about that world from Dead Point because at that point they kind of I was stuck watching the rest of High School Musical with them. So, but yeah, that's that's. That's where it ends for me. So, sorry. Okay, so Sharpay is one of the lead characters played by the icon Ashley Tisdale. If you know, you know. And they had a spinoff of her character going to, I think, New York to be on Broadway. And he was in that movie. <laughs> so he also dated Vanessa Hutchins for many years. If we another, She was also in High School Musical. Do you know who Vanessa Hutchins is? I know that Shoshans, yeah. Okay, yes. They were in a relationship for many years. <laughs> she encouraged him to do Elvis, and then he did Elvis, and now he's, you know, having all this acclaim. But anyways, like I was saying, it, it is kind of shocking to see where he is now, considering, like, where he started. I think that's amazing. He's having, like, a Zendaya moment, where it's like, you started on Disney, and then you're having, like, this fantastic career right now. But anyways, I digress. If he ends up winning the SAG Award then his chances for winning the Oscar are huge, um, which I didn't see coming. I really didn't. I really thought Brendan was kind of on track. And again, this might change. Oops, this might change after next week, but it does, the wheels in my brain are turning about like, okay, what does this mean now? Um, and also Carrie Condon from The Banshees of Inisherin, one supporting actress, not Angela Bassett. Um, and that brings me to my final point on this, that, not a single black person or person of color won any of the major categories. Not a single one. Not in this award show. Which makes me like <laughs> I I don't know what else I can say about this at this point. I feel like the other awards at least tried. Like people of color were getting stuff. But I feel like the BAFTAs were like, we will just nominate you and just accept the nominations because you're not winning an award. And that makes me uh, feel gross inside and make me like not care about the BAFTAs. So that's in terms of like winners. Um, I think you'll talk later about what this will mean for the Oscars. 
But other than that, the other thing to come up from this was that Ariana DeBose had an opening production number that people found cringy or like unwatchable or weird or whatever. And I don't know. I feel like people on Twitter are always going to have something to say. But I think she was like using the names of the nominees inside of her song and she like choreographed it and wrote it herself or whatever. And I feel like Liza Minnelli did this back in the day. I feel like I've seen a clip of that from like the 70s of her doing the exact same thing. So like, what is the real issue? Is the issue that she's a person of color, that she's a woman out here dancing? It's the BAFTAs and people feel like it's a very serious occasion. It's not like the Oscars or whatever. So you can't dance and sing on stage like, girl, get out of here. Um, And also the last thing was that uh, Coatser, I think it is, who was a CODA, was signing um, the winner for Best Supporting Actress. But I guess there was a miscommunication because they were about to give it to, um, who were they about to give it to? Carrie Mulligan. And then they were like, oh, no, 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 not you, Carrie Mulligan. It's, it, it's Carrie Condon who won <laughs> the award, which is like a Moonlight La La Land mix up if that actually happened, but I don't think she went up to get it. I think Carrie Condon was the person who actually accepted the award. So whatever. Like I am so over the Baptist. Like <laughs> look, I I yeah. view I view it this way. I think overall, like and this is like three years after the initial Oscar So White kind of stuff happened. And then all the award shows said, oh, we're gonna make this promise and blah blah blah. Um, I do feel that it's not an eye-opening thing, but it causes people to be more aware. Like, for some reason, there is this big push to this idea of over in Europe, you know, England and the rest of Europe, there is no such thing as racism. I can be there as a as a black man, and these moments like this really cause, like, say, no, it's, it's, they're just better than the states at hiding it. You know, mm-hmm. it, so it it it's it just lets you know that it's not a a perfect world for us, no matter where we go, and and it goes back to a mindset of sometimes you should be happy just to be nominated in in certain certain aspects, yes, but in certain like, but with the Baptists, I do think to a degree, some people who won should not have won and i will say i'm one only thing i am happy about being nominated was you know uh daryl mccormick from good mm-hmm. to you leo grande he was up there for best uh male leading role mm-hmm. he's a, he he's the, the first category i've seen him in at all and in this category he's the only black man um i forget his name from um everything everywhere at once he's the only asian man usually in the category it it shows a lack of diversity in the nomination and selection for a lot of these um parts or not a parts but for a lot of these awards you know mm. so yeah and they tried to be sneaky with it and be like we're gonna nominate all of these diverse people and give them absolutely nothing like that's what i kind of hate that more <laughs> like, oh, i see what you're doing you're trying to placate me right and it's that i give me the bare minimum you know and it's that that really pisses me off like at least certain award shows were like 
either we're not going to nominate you at all or we will give you a nomination, but you probably won't win like best actor or best actress. But they were like, no, 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 don't worry. All of all inclusive. Come join us over here in London. And yeah. then was a little snakes about it. Like, mm-mm. that's what I, the royal family to, to the BAFTAs. I just don't like it. It's just I don't like it. They don't have my support over there. Anyway. Yeah. Um, moving on from that, of course, kind of going to go over the odds real quick. I know it's, you know, people kind of don't want to hear the odds. But, you know, as like we said before, it's Baptist wrap up and we're heading toward, you know, uh, the SAG Awards coming up. Um, kind of look at the early predictor, you know, um, basically Golden Derby does an amazing job of it year to year. Um, they're usually kind of usually accurate. Their predictions might be different from ours because they're also aggregating different reviewers, you know, and also talk, looking at the odds based on who's won. Um, they're like, I think right now for Best Picture, there's a 14% chance that it's um everything everywhere all at once for Best Picture. But like, and because there's five categories, like, I think six nominees per category. If you get fourteen, you're kind of odds, and it's and it's really it's really been like along the lines of what what's been going on so far in award season, like best director. Them once again, um, of course everybody, Kate Blanchett looking at best actress, best actor, as you know, looking at Brandon Fraser in the whale, which I will talk about later in the episode. But it like it seems to be their their predictions. And usually these predictions kind of get randomly, but it's really much, really what we've been seeing all in line so far. Like you mentioned, Brandon Fraser appears to be two for two in awards, but Austin Butler won this last one. But Ben Yerford is still looking at the odds on favor to be um, best actor, you know. So, you know, maybe, you know, if you're a gambling person, I don't know if DraftKings does this stuff for Oscars, you know, get them parlays in real quick. You never know. So, but yeah, it looks like it's going to be a, like, I think this award season this year is probably going to be one where it's going to be one where everybody expects it. It's not going to be like last year with Dune, where Dune was probably the best picture for every category. Right. And didn't win best picture. So I so think upset. this one is, yeah. <laughs> you're still, you'll, you'll never get over it. No. You, I mean, Dune 2 is coming out like 20, I know. 24. You, it's we'll, coming we'll out this it. year. Yeah, so you'll, you'll be fine. But I do think this one is kind of going to be Exactly what everybody expected and predictable. So yeah, yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> um, okay, and so our last news story: As Baldwin is no longer facing five years in prison for fatal rust shooting, which is a big win for the actor in the battle with the Santa Fe DA. I have not looked into the story, into this particular part of the story, but I do know that he was charged for longer. Um, but I think there was like a mix-up where the person on who was going to head up the prosecution or whatever um, was also involved in something else. So like, it was going to be like a conflict of interest. And so they probably had to change that out. Um, he's still facing involuntary manslaughter charges, but he's not facing um, that five year prison sentence for the shooting. And I wonder how they got that kind of ridiculous reduced because like what is he now he's being charged with the manslaughter charges but like 
why I think, is he also I think in, in, in this sense he's where he was originally charged for five years, but I do think it is kind of reduced due to the fact that he was not okay. He was responsible for the lack of care from the armor because they released non-union people, union people, and hired non-union people. Mm-hmm. So, in that aspect, because he wasn't the person primarily responsible for, you know, the weapon, he mm-hmm. is not at fault in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want to see what goes on continue, um, for because now he's getting charged with involuntary manslaughter, which is like, uh, a year, and five thousand mm-hmm. dollars in. In New Mexico, I want to see what happens beyond that because now we've seen with um, even though like with um, uh, last year a couple years ago with uh the Luke Rittenhauer issue where the white boy with a with a AK for him shot somebody fighting somebody, and the court ruled him not guilty, but the family was still was allowed to now sue him, mm. like for for instigation or whatever, so maybe going forward now that he's not responsible as you know an actor maybe the family puts forth another lawsuit against him as the producer for creating an unsafe work environment so we'll probably see that happen down the line as well so yeah there are a couple of lawsuits going around directed at him specifically so even if this is reduced there's still other things that he has to deal with and um because at the end of the day like yes this was the armor's job to take care of it but I think from what I understand, you're never supposed to point a gun at anyone. Like, if it's loaded, like, you're just never supposed to do that. So it's that piece of it. And then also the piece of, like, you are the producer on the film. So you have liability on that, even if as an actor. Because it wasn't with Malice. Like, he wasn't intentionally trying to hurt yeah. anyone. But, yeah. So we'll see what, what goes down. I think they have their first hearing on February the 24th. So... I follow like law people on YouTube, so like I'm I'm gonna see what they have to say about those statements. Cause... Hey, I I think I think everybody has gone into entertainment law YouTube due to uh, Amber and Johnny. Like for like That's a week, I found all it. everybody was. <laughs> and I stayed with there. Okay, I stayed with it because this is interesting. <laughs> I want to know what's going down. But yeah. All right, then. So let's talk about what we watched this week. Dale. Um, so, yeah, I got to watch The Whale. You know, for, for, for them to say it got nationwide release, it's still showing very, you know, sporadically. And, you know, the closer it's been getting to awards season, they've been drip-feeding it even more. Um, has opportunity to go. Luckily, Atlanta has, like, three to four art theaters, which I was able to go and watch it. Um, yeah, beautiful beautiful movie um and and the the reviews about it saying the story isn't solid but brandon fraser's thinking performance blows you away like for somebody who's aware and acutely aware of like their mental issues and their growth like brandon fraser's performance like literally broke me like i saw i saw myself in his character in a way like people always say representation matters and when they only go surface up like oh it's just skin color but i felt in this project in the way um he was dealing with his stuff emotionally and mentally i really i really i really i really felt and he was like um and it goes on to the the gamut of everything because like one part of the movie he was talking about um 
and we don't talk about how mental like loss really affects people. And like the last couple of years, you know, I've been trying to wrap my head around like that's one of my triggers and stuff like that. Where he was talks about somebody was like, Oh, I've always been a big guy, but you know, I lost someone dear to me and I just put on weight and then you see the movie just snacking and then dealing with that and trying to like connect with his daughter. He knows he's about to die, but he doesn't care. Like, you know, when you're in that mental state of it doesn't really matter. Like he constantly says, I'm sorry, just to placate people and make them happy. Like I can relate to that sometimes where I'll tell people sorry and, and just to go get it over with and still fight myself. What well, he he's arguing with his ex wife and he's like and as far as him trying to reconnect with his daughter, he just wants to make sure there's one he leaves one good thing in the world. And I can relate to that one hundred because with me, you know, I deal with these young boys in my church and I and I will say like if even if I'm not one hundred, I wanna make sure you don't sit make the same mistakes I do. And I saw I felt that his performance really it really touched me in a way. Like I always talk about your movies should make you feel something, whether good or bad. But this movie was the first time in a long time I watched a movie and it just lingered with me like the car ride home into now like having an emotional response whether good or bad like old I'll forever have a negative response to it you know Black Panther you know what Chadwick Boseman I'll forever you know have a positive response at being a black male but this movie it it lingered with me in a way where I'm still even now like the way I'm talking about it, it really touched me and his performance, like, I can see why, you know, we spoke about the award season, how he's won too, I can see how and why he's having such a reaction, like, the story is kind of iffy, but his performance just draws you in in a way it just captures you, and I feel like it's one of those things where he's also speaking from experience, because we know, you know, what happened with him in um, Farm, Farm Press, you know, and that kind of issue where he lost his career because somebody was really touchy feeling with him and and they blacklit blackballed him. So, you know, like I said, when actors put their like heart and emotion and everything they feel like I feel like this performance was an outpouring of stuff that he could never like fully address or emote in a way and all that came to the surface and it just made that so so beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah, if you have a chance to watch the whale, I'd recommend anybody to watch anybody to watch it. So, yeah, yeah, that's all I heard was how amazing his performance was. That's why I can't wait to watch it because even in the trailers, it just felt, yeah, if you know his story, it feels you know so much more than probably whatever the character is or the story is presenting itself. It's like, there's, there's like, there's a point in the movie where. Of course, the title is The Whale. Kind of circles around the Moby Dick and Ahab. Mm. And at a one point, he's like, his daughter made an essay when she was like 10 years old. And for him, he recounts it as a negative. And the way they flip it, like, so like they, they he recounts it in a way that he views it as negative, complaining and bemoaning about his life. But I love the way they flip it at the end, where to him, it becomes almost revelatory and that whole like like it's like the most perfect beautiful bookend to a picture that you can ever see and i'm i'm amazed at how darren was able to pull this off knowing that this project and this movie is a base on the play mm-hmm. um now i want to go find out and actually watch the play to see how 
not how it differs, but how uh, Darren was able to draw out this kind of uh, story and present it in the way he did. Because, you know, from from Broadway plays to movies is never, not just Broadway, but plays to theater um, is never a one-to-one experience. Mm. So, but yeah, Darren also amazing job as, you know, director with this project. And even for her limited time there, um, Sadie Sink is like on another level now. Like, as you see now, like post her performance in um the last season of um Stranger Things, you how she stole the show that season. She's been getting more and more projects. She's like, she's about to outpace Millie. Millie's stuck on doing these Enola Holmes on Netflix, but you got Sadie's doing all these like projects. Like she's about to do like a uh, uh, like a runaway show with uh. Amon and stuff like that, like it for um for Alexander McQueen, like like Sadie Sweet is she's slowly mm. becoming like yeah. we talk about Florence Pugh and um Shirsa Ronan as you know the leading vanguard of New Hollywood, especially mm. for, for, women. for women. Sadie yeah. Sink is uh, is about to join those ranks in the next couple of years as she grows and grows as an actress and gets more and more opportunities for these roles. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, her moment is coming. It's coming. I feel it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can't wait to watch that. Um, I watched Steven Spielberg Catch Me If You Can with um Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks, which is a movie I've never seen before. So this was a good really? one for me. I've never seen this movie before. I've heard about it for so long, but I've never actually watched it. But it's on HBO Max which is where I get all my content now. So like I finally was able to watch it. And I have to say that like, it's interesting watching his filmography, Steven, because you can definitely see like little breadcrumbs of like the things that he's like most noted for, especially in the way the camera moves. He'll have like a couple of camera movements that you'll see in this, in his films a lot. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a Spielberg movie because of how camera yeah. But also just in the stories that he tells, like, it's always about a kid whose parents are going through for a divorce. Like, <laughs> that is, that's his thing. That's where, you know, it always comes back around to that. Like, um, unless it's a movie that has nothing to do with like, that's an already established thing, like the color purple or like Schindler's list. But other than that, like somehow it always reroutes to his story. Like he feels like an emotional connection to like those type of things. Um, even though this is based on a true story, but the similarities are very striking in his life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was ridiculous about how this kid was able to get away with all this stuff. Like, I was like, this is, like, it must be nice to be white because, like, there is no way that this would ever happen if you... <laughs> if this was, like, a black person, like, or any person of color, mm-hmm. like, they would have been dead on sight. Like, <laughs> there's no way you can go around committing these crimes and, like, get away with it. But anyway, um... It was really engaging, funny, just like crazy. This like this kid just going around like pretending I think he was like making fake checks and just like living a life of luxury. And it was all fake. Like it was all just a huge lie. Um but it was interesting to see how he was gonna get out of some of these situations. I was like, how on earth are you gonna get out of this situation? Like you're caught. 
and he will still get away with it. I was like, what? Only in a movie like that. There's no way this could be real. And some of it, and based on the real life story, it was never this elaborate. Like the guy did do some crimes and stuff in terms of like faking checks, but like he didn't do anything as serious as <laughs> the character does. Cause I'm like, you would have already been in prison for this. Like it, it wouldn't have taken you two hours for us to get around to that scene. But I will say like, th- I love seeing Leo in his prime. Like, I feel like he just, he did such a great job in this. And it kind of made me a little misty for those performances. I feel like the performances he's been giving post, I don't know. Like there was a series of, yes, there was a series of performances where it was like, he did Django, he did Great Gatsby, he did um, The Revenant. And then he did Wolf of Wall Street. So like he was, you know, he was giving you, he like stuff he's serving and then after that <laughs> i'm not really sure what happened i think he, maybe because he's been in the public eye and because he's been on in films for so long you kind of know like what his performance is and he doesn't like switch up and give you something different we haven't been getting anything different so that's why i'm like i'm not really sure how i feel about you as an actor right now but this came out in 2002 so like he was literally in his prime like he was like in his 20s like killing the game and you can really tell like he had such an energy in this movie that was like really infectious also like every actress is in this movie jennifer gardner's in this movie elizabeth banks in this movie um amy adams in this movie like all these girlies who were like become who were my favorite girlies growing up all of them were in this film, which like shocked to me. I was like, what are all you guys doing in here? But, and Amy Adams ended up playing like a bigger role in, in this film, which I was not expecting to see her at all. And she is so good. Like, again, where are the good roles from Amy Adams right now? Like she is so talented and I'm, <laughs> can someone just give her like a really good role to be in, give her her Oscar finally, like I'm waiting for it. But yeah. I liked I liked this movie a lot, and I'm happy that I saw it. I, I'm sad it took me so long to see it, but it is really good. Um, Tom Hanks was fine. Tom Hanks, for me, isn't, like, that great of an actor. His performances are inconsistent. That's what I'll say. Yeah, scratch the thing I said before. I What I'm sticking to is <laughs> his performances are inconsistent for me. And mm. he has the dynamic that he kind of does in Elvis where it's like older man, younger kid. And I just don't, I'm not really, I didn't really vibe with it. Like his best performance for me was like Philadelphia. I thought he was fantastic in that role. And like his stuff from the nineties, I feel like as we progress, I don't know. Cause didn't, what's that movie? Was it Pearl Harbor or was it the other one? The other war movie that he was in. It was one oh, of those. Taven Prater Ryan. That one. I feel like he was great in that as well. But like, I feel like as the years go on, and that's what I'm kind of scared of. I'm scared of the actors now who are so good, but they're young. And I'm 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 afraid that like as they get older, the performances are gonna get kind of stale if they keep doing the same kinds of things. And even at this point, it felt a bit stale for me in terms of like what he was giving. The story was strong, so it kind of held it together. And Leo's performance was good enough to kind of cover it. But it's like, I still, I felt like a lacking from him on this one. 
But I still I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I feel like in Tom Hanks's case, his performance of kind of being he's taken a lot of mentor like roles. Mm-hmm. Cause mm-hmm. I do think that's what he you kind of play to what you feel you are in like your life, I guess, to a certain point. Like Tom Hanks, I think he kind of does view himself as one of these mentor-like figures in Hollywood, so he's taking on those mentor-type roles. I don't think as you get older in Hollywood, you kind of phone it in, because, like, take Warren Beatty, for example, old, old as hell, but he's still, like, championing, like, his love of um acting, and he's he'll always bring up Dick Tracy. Like, a lot of people didn't like Dick Tracy, didn't do that good, but the zaniest absurd, and absurdity of it, he'll always champion it and bring it up whenever he can, because he loved that experience, and I do think what Leo, I think Leo, he put together an amazing run of projects earlier in his career. I think right before he did this, he did Titanic, mm-hmm. so he was like putting on such a string of work, and he might get you know socially accoladed as being one of the best actors of a generation or whatever, whatever. But it comes back to, is it good enough to be nominated if you don't win? And I feel like his quest. And his performances at that point was like, look, I'm knocking these out. I deserve best actor. You know, I'm I'm giving you, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you everything you want as an actor. I'm not getting it. And then when he finally got in Revenant, he was like, yep, that's it. Time to just cash your checks in and just just cruise and cruise with my performances. So that's where I kind of see, see the differences in Leo's career, especially when you're considering Tom Hanks started acting when he was older. So there's probably a more of a love for it still, whereas Leo got into it younger, where he was a child actor, and he's kind of done this for years, and now he just wants to cash in his checks and, like, date younger women and stuff like that, you know? So, hey. Yeah, um... <laughs> yeah, it is... I think you might be right on that front. I feel like he definitely had a singular goal in mind, which was Oscar. And then once that happened, it was like, okay. And maybe because he did start off as a child actor, like maybe the, I think the love for it is still there. I just don't think the effort for it is still there. Um, Like, I think he, I truly believe that he like loves making movies. Like that is probably the one true love of his life is making movies. And that's the one thing that he'll actually be committed to and dedicated to is this. But I do think that I feel like maybe cause he thinks or not thinks he has established himself already. Like he doesn't have to do as much, which is disappointing because I feel like if you're one of the greatest actors of our generation, then like that shouldn't end when you get, the statue like you should still be working towards it like Meryl Streep has three Oscars and she still loves making movies and she's so fantastic in everything that she does because she actually loves doing it so and like love and respects it too like respects the craft of acting and wants to try to like do things that are different and like get better and stuff which is what I feel like every actor needs to have so it's funny that you say that because I, I just think I think it's true. <laughs> I literally think it's true. And it's funny because Florence Pugh gave an interview for the Hollywood Vanity Fair Hollywood issue where she was like, Timothy Chalamet is our Leonardo DiCaprio. And I was like, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Here, and, but, <laughs> and that's what I was saying before. I'm like, I really don't, I understand what you're saying by that Florence. Like I, Florence, I really get you. I feel it. And like, yes, same. I, I, there are a lot of similarities there. But what I hope doesn't happen is that as he gets older, that same mentality takes over where it's like, I have a singular goal. And once I achieve that, then I'm just going to phone it in. Like, I don't want that for him. And I hope, and I don't think that that's what's going to happen because I actually, maybe this is just me being a little too hopeful, but I feel like he is, uh, getting an Oscar doesn't seem like that's his goal in life or his goal as an Mm -hmm. artist. It very much seems like he just wants to do the work and do interesting things. Like, he and he's doing different things like he'll do a supporting role in a movie like don't look up but then you'll be the star of a franchise like dune and then you'll do like an indie like bones and all with luca guan you know so like he seems like he's very he's okay with diversifying he's okay with not being the star of the show in every movie that he's doing and to me that tells me that that's actually like what you want is not the accolades what you want is actually just to do good work so uh, in that way, I think she's very different from Leo. And also, I just think his focus is a little bit different from Leo. I don't, he not out here in these streets doing reckless stuff like dating literal, like barely legal teenagers. So I, I don't know. I, I want to say that things will be different for him. I feel like he's on a different trajectory as Leonardo DiCaprio because Leo seems like a good guy, but he also does stuff like that like dates very young women and it's gross like it's it's gross now like maybe when he was in his 20s and he was doing it it wasn't as gross because of the time period i don't know yeah. now it's now it's disgusting and it's like leonardo dicaprio you need to like it's not a joke anymore like it's actually disturbing <laughs> please stop yeah. I, I don't i don't think that'll happen with um timothy i i, I do think with leo it was child actor tv Every day, every day, every day, on set, every day, acting, you know, then he goes and does starts doing movies, you know, box office, box office, box office. Now, Timothy's coming out in a time where the enamor we have with kind of being celebrities, he can be more selective and take his time with his projects and not be burnt out. And well, the thing with Leo dating also younger people, it's it's it's, it's weird because okay, fine, it's not, like, he, 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 he walks that line really fine, like, Leo's, what, almost 40 years old? 40? He's a, that. Yeah, he's, like, mid-40s, I think, if I remember correctly. He is creeping um, towards 50. Yeah, so, and to date, like, a 19-year-old girl is, like, really, really suspect. He, 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 like, I said it, like, I said it the other day, I was, like, He's dating somebody right on that edge of the line, so where it cannot be viewed as being creepy and being pedophilia because it's right there. It's right, it's legal, so there's nothing wrong with it. And I know there are like Romeo and Juliet laws if you're in college and you're dating somebody still in high school, they're okay with that. And also, I'd be more okay with it because you knew each other, you know, in high school for a time. It's not okay with that. I'm not, a, I don't agree with it, but I'm more, okay, fine, you guys, you might have been, you know, a senior, she might have been a, junior, a sophomore or junior or whatever. Okay, that's fine. You guys have more mental space. But to be like f- almost 50-ish years old, 40, late 40s and dating an 18-year-old, I couldn't even imagine me myself in my, in my early 30s, you know, dating somebody 
in their early like 20s like and that's just a 10 year difference right. that's he's going like 30 40 years like bro you she what didn't even know you she wasn't even born for titanic probably like like she don't know you on growing pains like i remember watching leo on growing pains and so that's all i know leo's old like that is really really creepy i don't know yeah and I, I, I do think I do think it's up to us as people to call out that behavior. I don't think because she's 18 or 19 and he's a celebrity, he gets a pass. And it's still creepy because if anybody else do it, we would all call him out on it. So, yeah, I feel like we are in a position to do this as like a society to like not let this happen, because I feel like it's like it's become such a joke at this point that he dates significantly younger women like people make fun of it all the time to the point where i don't think that people are taking it seriously like everyone's like well that's just leonardo DiCaprio. like he will just be on a yacht with like 10 20 year olds and that's fine and it's like it's not fine though like we can't like it's just like if that was your friend if that was your daughter like would you be okay with it obviously not so like these Girls are someone's kids. Like, that's the thing. And I'm not saying, like, something crazy is happening, like, where it's um, abusive or whatever. Like, I don't think that's a situation. It obviously seems consensual. But again, like, the power balance, the age gap, the life difference, like, it's just so huge that we can't... Like, we have to draw a line somewhere. Like, and the line needs to be at least 30 at this point. Like, that's the line I'm drawing for him. Like, stop dating 20-year-olds. They're too young for you. It's, it, it, like, I don't, I don't, I don't. Uh, and, like, he's, he's doing it, like, look, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's wrong. Like, we, we, we you know, we're, pro, we're, like, prosecuting and arresting 80 to, like, 90-year-old ex-Nazis who've hid post world war ii and post holocaust we're arresting those guess what at the time it was legal for them in germany to do the same things and those soldiers also say i was just following orders just because it's legal don't mean it's right there are plenty of stuff in america's racist history that are we looking back like lynchings of black people that you know we're trying to persecute not prosecute those families and those people still alive responsible for the lynching I know um, Emmett Till's family's now suing the woman who lied, which led to his death. Mm -hmm. Just because it's legal or fine then don't mean it's, 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 just because it's legal doesn't mean it's always okay. Right. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, the movie was good though. Y'all can go watch it. (laughs) It's on HBO Max. Although like you said before i do find it odd like as, as a black person that would happen like we hear stories in real life of doctors you know being questioned in hospitals about being doctors this man just walked up found a pilot suit hopped on a pan am fly it's like yeah i'm pilot and then f- realized no you actually gotta apply this damn plan he faked like he was sick and got the co-pot to fly it like that wouldn't happen if 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 you were black and this this story now reminds me like of what was it a couple years ago? Like Annie Annie Dunleavy, that Russian con artist who was conning all the Anna rich Delvey. people. Mm-hmm. Anna Delvey. Like and that also reminded me almost like um it's an almost Smith movie. It's called Six Three Separation, where he kind of pretends to be Sydney Poitier's son. If you want to see another movie that's kind of on the realm of that, and 
it's a black guy scamming white people, which we all want to do, I'd recommend watching that movie. It's called Six Degrees of Separation. It came out like '93, but mm-hmm. it's early in Will Smith's career, but it's still a good project. So yeah. Yeah, I'm all for people scamming and scheming, but um, yeah. <laughs> actually, never mind. No, I'm not. <laughs> That, I didn't say that. I'm not. We <laughs> are not. We are not scamming and scheming. We are not. We don't we do are, that. We don't, we don't do that here. No. We don't do no. that. No. We don't. I just feel like when the system is rigged against you. But if the system is for you and you're still doing that, then yeah, definitely get caught. <laughs> like, I don't care. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for us this week. Um, We hope that you're taking care of yourselves and that you're having a great week. Make sure to check out all of our social media. Support us if you can. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Au revoir.